May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Tonight we celebrate baptism. It's one of the two sacraments given by Jesus to the Christian community to shape and deepen our common life. Three people, Grace and Shane and Billy, will be baptized. Two others, Jody and Karen, will stand with us and make a public reaffirmation of the baptisms they underwent at an earlier stage of life. This will all take place at the baptismal font, which stands at the back of the church. And the fact that it's at the back of the church signifies a couple of things. Firstly, with the table at the front and the font at the back, the worship space is symbolically anchored by these two great things. And because we've placed the lectern in the middle of the aisle, the scripture stands at the center as the lens through which our understanding of both table and font can be read. Secondly, though, baptism marks new beginnings, new life, new birth. Traditionally, the font is placed by the doorway to the church building. Symbolically, then, it's the point of entry into the life of the body of Christ. But if you think about it a bit, you'll realize it doesn't just signify a point of entry of coming in. It also marks the connection between baptism and what happens on the other side of those doors. To leave the church building at the completion of the baptismal liturgy is to go out and live the claim that this action places upon all of us. So listen to the words we use in the baptismal liturgy and then carry them out through those doors with you. The words are strong. We'll begin with a series of questions addressed to Grace, Shane, Billy, Jody, and Karen together. The first three questions call for a renunciation of all that distorts, corrupts, destroys, and keeps us from being what we were created to be. That's then followed by three strong affirmations of a faith in Jesus Christ and of a willingness of, of their willingness to entrust their lives to Christ's grace and mercy. And so, I'm going to say to the five of them, do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Savior? Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? Do you promise to obey him as your Lord? And to each of these, they're going to say, I do. It's all spoken in the present tense, sounding almost as if this is the first time that these five people will have expressed such beliefs. Now, I happen to know that all five have not suddenly come to this place of faith here today, tonight, that each in his or her own way has already long been walking with Christ. Yet there's something very strong about standing and declaring here and now, in the present tense, in the midst of the gathered assembly, that this is who and what I am. Well, those strong words are followed by more strong words, a question addressed to all of you. And it's interesting that this time it's not framed in the present tense, but rather it's an ongoing promise. 
I'll ask, will you, who witness these vows, do all in your power to support these people in their life in Christ? And the response set out in your liturgy booklet is, we will. Yet I only want you to say that if you actually mean it. And if you mean it, I really want you to say it so they hear it, because it's important. Now maybe you'll be thinking, well, I could do that if I knew these five people a little better. To which I can only say the chances are, if you're here tonight, you know one or two at least. And you could actually get to know another one or two beyond that, because after all, we are all members of one body of Christ. And so we are accountable, but in relationship to each other, automatically by virtue of that. So your promise is a promise to be in relationship, in a sense. But it means more than that. To actually support these five people in their life in Christ, the liturgy will go on to make some very strong suggestions of what it might look like. There comes a point when I'll invite everyone here to join with those who are committing their lives to Christ to renew our own baptismal covenant which begins with the recitation of the Apostles' Creed, the historic proclamation of the basics of faith the churches have been using since about the third century at baptism. It then moves on to a series of five further questions that flesh out what that belief, what that creedal belief calls out from all of us. The questions there mostly deal with life outside of the church doors, on the other side of the font, on the other side of the stained glass. And to each of those questions, the reply is, I will, with God's help. And so, for instance, I will ask the five of them, but also all of you, because you're standing with them, remember, in solidarity and in support with them. So I will ask everybody, Will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. The answer to that is, I will, with God's help. Now notice the wording. It's whenever you fall into sin. Not if you happen to, but when you do, because we all do. We all will. It's a foregone conclusion. So, when you mess up, Will you get back on your feet, turn around, make the return, and begin again? I will, with God's help. Notice how important that last clause becomes then. The question, though, that really catches my attention is this. Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? It catches me partly because it has such clear resonance with the words we heard read aloud from the gospel according to John. I give you a new commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, you're my people, if you have love one for another. 
sounds a lot like that baptismal promise to love our neighbor as ourself. But the question really catches my attention because actually to love my neighbor is even tougher than loving one another in a kind of a a nice community. Alongside of the reading from John, we heard a reading from the book of Acts in which Peter has his strange vision in which he's told, what God has made clean you must not call profane. Now the vision has a good deal to do with those Jewish dietary laws. There's no longer clean and unclean. God has declared that to be all fair to place on the table, Peter. So drop those old scruples. But it has more to do with people. It moves very quickly into the pressing issue of what Peter and the others are going to do about Gentiles. Peter is told he needs to look at Gentiles with new eyes. So it says, The Spirit told me to go with them, not to make any distinction between them and us. That's Peter's report. New eyes for the Gentiles, no distinction between them and us. And before you know it, Peter is busily baptizing Gentiles. Yet when the word gets back to some of the others at head office in Jerusalem, eyebrows begin to get raised. Gentiles? The ones we've been taught are to be avoided because they're unclean? Outside of God's covenantal law? Gentiles? Peter's baptizing them, eating meals with them, bringing them in, no distinction. It was bad enough that we had to treat Mary Magdalene and Matthew the tax collector as neighbors. Gentiles? Yes, Gentiles, Peter says. That's precisely the challenge. You see, our neighbor whom we are called to love can often be, at least in our eyes, rather hard to love. The ones in whom we are called to see the face of Christ are, by and large, rather less than Christ-like. The call to love our neighbor is a deeply challenging one. be much easier if all we had to love was the people next to us, except for maybe the people next to us are people we don't much like. Well, you get the message, right? Careful how quickly you respond to the question. And when you do... Put the emphasis not on, I will love my neighbor as myself, but I will with God's help. With God's help. That's pretty much the only way any of these questions can be answered with anything like integrity. I'll do it with God's help. That we don't leave these five people to make these affirmations all on their own is significant. And insofar as we actually mean what we say when we say, I will support them, our strongest way of letting them know that we'll support them is also to say with them, I will with God's help. I'll say the creed with you and I'll say all those other things that are committing me and you and all of us to some pretty heavy stuff and we're going to stand together and do it. That's a pretty potent pledge of support. We are going to try 
with God's help, to live into a common call of loving our neighbor as ourself, and to see in all human faces, even the least lovable human faces, something of the face of Christ. In a minute or two, I'll be taking that baptismal group to the back of the church. But before we make that move to the back, Steve is going to offer a baptismal song, which he co-wrote with the poet Malcolm Geit. And the chorus says, He calls us, too, to step into that river, to die and rise to life and love forever, and so graciously extends to me, a sinner, to tread the sacred waters of the mystery of love, to dare to love as we have been first loved, to rise to the challenge of seeing something of dignity and of worth even in the neighbor who is so very hard to love. That is to walk into sacred water indeed. Tonight, step into the river with Grace, with Shane, with Billy, Jody, and Karen, and join them in proclaiming that with God's help, this is what we will do. This is the kind of people we will be. Amen. The heavens split and the water spilled. It spinned around that man like a crippling wind. A crippling wind. The word behind all worlds revealed that the garden man makes everything to do again. Tread the sea, waters of this mystery of.